it's kind of like going to the gym for your mind. You know, we do so much for our bodies. It's, it's a little workout for your mind because it's an opportunity for you to sit there in complete silence and just observe what's going on in your mind. And, and by doing that, you will be much more equipped in the real world when your mind gets the best of you. You'll know what to do with it. Hi guys, we're your hosts Jillian and Kaylin, and this is Teach Me How to Adult, a podcast on all the things you never learned growing up, like how to buy a home, manage stress, crush your love life, land your dream job, and how to love yourself more, because we could all be a little kinder to ourselves. We're still figuring out how to get our shit together, so we're calling in the experts and the hustlers for some real talk and legit tips on how to live your best life. Adulting isn't easy, but we got you. Hey guys, today we're talking about how to get mindful AF with Nina Purewall, co-author of the best-selling book, Let That Shit Go. We know these are stressful times right now and everyone is feeling a little bit on edge. So we hope this convo about mindfulness and the benefits of meditation will help you feel a little less anxious. So keep listening and stick around to the very, very end because Nina has recorded a really awesome guided meditation for you and we hope it's going to bring you all some peace. We've also uploaded it as a bonus episode if you want to queue it up on your own. So let's dive into it. The average person has about 50,000 thoughts a day. That's a shitload to navigate. And the best way to gain control of your thoughts and emotions is a solid mindfulness and meditation practice. It's like having too many tabs on your laptop open. It's not going to run as fast and it's probably going to crash when it's on overdrive. There's a lot of information on the internet about mindfulness and meditation. So we did our research to break down what you need to know. And essentially, it's all about living in the present moment. So leaning into your emotions instead of running away from them. Mm -hmm. And meditation increases awareness, clarity, focus. And in one study, they found that when experts meditated on compassion, they legit altered their brain's capacity for empathy, which is so crazy. That's actually incredible. You can meditate on all sorts of aspects of your life, which is really cool, and I didn't even realize that before. There are meditations for happiness, better sleep, Mm self-esteem, creativity. If you're not yet convinced that mindfulness is key to living your best life, we're going to throw down some stats for you. Researchers found that meditation improves symptoms of depression, anxiety, irritability, and pain related to stress. In one study, people who used a meditation app for eight weeks had a 46% reduction in depression and a 31% reduction in anxiety. Sign me up! In another study, after only 30 days of meditating, participant stress was down by a third. Wow. 30 days, guys. That's it. And then there was this Harvard research that found eight weeks of meditating alters your brain's gray matter. Wow. That's seriously so doable. It's just eight weeks. I feel kind of guilty that I haven't carved out just a few minutes a day for something that can drastically improve my life. But I'm inspired to start again. I'm going to make it happen. Kaylin, you've actually got like a pretty solid practice on the go, though. Yeah, I've started including meditation into my morning routine, and I don't do it every day. I'd say like four or five times a week. Still pretty good. Pretty good. (laughs) It's consistent enough to notice some changes. So the mornings that I do meditate, I've noticed that my anxiety throughout the day is significantly less, and I only need to do it for about five to 15 minutes. I always use an app. I use Headspace. Not sponsored. (laughs) Um, But I love it. It's easy. And you can take it anywhere with you. Even yoga can be pretty meditative for me. Like there's been times when I've been in certain poses or shavasana and I'll just start tearing up because you're just in your feelings. Hashtag Drake. (laughs) (laughs) On my honeymoon, we went to South Africa and for some reason, our entire two weeks there, I just didn't talk for a little bit. And I was just like, (laughs) great honeymoon. (laughs) Solid honeymoon. Gabe loved me. (laughs) 
but no, I was in the moment and just something about being around these like wild animals, like seeing a lion five feet from me or, or an elephant. I just wanted to enjoy every second. I always I made him take all the photos. And that was sort of the first time I really experienced mindfulness without actually sitting down, putting on an app mm-hmm. and like being in a yoga class or like forcing myself to feel it. But your practice had probably like equipped you to be present in that moment, which For is sure. really cool because the whole purpose of it isn't so that you can like pause your life and sit down for 10 minutes and be mindful no, no. it's so that when you're actually in your everyday life you can be present 100 percent and show mm-hmm. up and not be distracted and that's really cool now the key is learning how to bring that into your everyday life yeah mindfulness has really helped me gain better control of how i respond to events in my life and circumstances that are beyond my control it just gives you the space to get vulnerable with yourself and to just deal with your shit rather mm-hmm. than burying it yeah i balled my eyes out when I was in my first ever therapy session when I was younger and my therapist walked me through a meditation for self-compassion and that was the first actual time I meditated and she literally verbally gave me permission to just release so much and to feel care for myself and to just like be silent with myself and whoo shit flowed well that's (laughs) the hardest part about meditating right because you're just you're in you're in your thoughts yeah it's just you yeah it's very it's a lot of inner work and I think we don't take the time to do that so when you first do it it feels like a little almost like an out-of-body experience and you're yeah. like a little weird a little uncomfortable but it can like just change you and that's the other funny thing I feel I I always thought this before and I think most people do is you feel like the purpose of meditation is to stop thinking and that's not mm-hmm. what it is it's to let your thoughts flow through you and refocus them and recenter them on whatever it is that you're focusing on, whether mm-hmm. it's breath work or visualization or a mantra or just a, an aspect of your life, yeah. like self-compassion. So it's pretty effective and, and pretty cool. I learned a lot about it years ago when I went to India on like, it was the best trip of my life. It was amazing. <laughs> and I stayed at an ashram in Bangalore and we practiced yoga and meditation and mantras so and amazing. heavy, intense breath work that literally, Kaelin, it made me feel so high. My pupils were dilated. I had this sense of euphoria and connection, like the breeze coming into the room had every single hair on my body standing up. Wow. I felt like I was high. It was incredible. And that was legitimately just from these breathing techniques that they developed and all these techniques they helped me for years but life happens Mm -hmm. I lost focus I lost my practice somewhere along the way and I'm just excited to get it back and for those of you that have tried meditating like Jill and maybe just hasn't clicked like don't give up there's so many different types out there there's transcendental to dynamic to visualization you can definitely find a style that's your jam we're going to get into all of that in our conversation today mm-hmm. because we're still figuring out how to disconnect and how to be more present it's easier said than done so we're going to call in the expert today we're chatting with someone who has firsthand experience in transforming their life using mindfulness Nina Purewall has been studying mindfulness and meditation for over 20 years. She's the owner of Pure Minds, which is a company that brings mindfulness workshops to the public and corporate sector. And she's the co-author of the best-selling book, Let That Shit Go. Teach us how to be more mindful, Nina. So we would love if you told us more about your journey that led you personally to mindfulness and why you wrote Let That Shit Go. Sure. So 
My journey to mindfulness and meditation started over 20 years ago. Um, it's, it's not the happiest of stories, but I was 16 at the time and I went through a pretty significant tragedy. I lost my dad and my brother overnight, very unexpectedly. And I started to just question what life was all about. You know, what's our purpose? What are we here? What's my mission in life? And I definitely went through my fair share of psychologists and child psychiatrists and therapy. Um, but what grounded me the most was my practice in, you know, spiritual philosophy, mindfulness, uh, and meditation. It was something I really leaned into, and it was the one thing that I could really find calm and peace from. I worked in corporate for, you know, the majority of my career in sales and marketing. And I really got, I got to a point where I really wanted to combine my passion and my professional self. So I took a year off. I did a one-year course in California and I came back and started a business doing mindfulness and meditation workshops for the public and corporate sector. And people would ask me, are you interested in writing a book? Do you think I'll ever write a book? And I said, no, that's just, that's just not me. But last year, uh, Kate, Petru, my co-author, she's the founder of Mind Matters. Her and I were doing workshops. I, I did a few workshops for her at the Drake Hotel um, called Mindful AF and Learn How to Fucking Meditate. And Harper Collins caught wind of these workshops and they loved the content. They loved how we were positioning mindfulness and meditation as something very approachable, very cheeky. And they asked us if we were interested in turning the content into book material. So away we went. And, and here we are uh, a year and a bit later with a best-selling book. No big deal. No big deal. <laughs> That's no. amazing. And we loved the tone. And it's great how like, unfiltered and approachable it is. And it, your book just takes something that can be really abstract and hard for people to connect with and makes it so fun and relatable and just sassy. We're, we're really here for it. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, we tried to make it we try to make it approachable, relatable, and it is, it's a very subtle topic and it's very hard to make mindfulness practical. So that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to get people to understand how to actually implement mindfulness um, into their day-to-day -day life. So that was the goal of the book. So can you tell us more about how we can gain control of our thoughts so we can be more mindful? Yeah. So in the book, Let That Shit Go, we talk about the mind and how the mind has two parts, the observing mind and the chatty mind. And the chatty mind is the mind that we're so often associated with. A lot of people refer to it as the monkey mind. You know, we're going from thought to thought to thought or branch to branch to branch. And we are just spinning out of control. And the observing mind simply observes what the chatty mind is doing. It doesn't judge the chatty mind. It doesn't try to solve for the thoughts you're thinking. It doesn't make you feel guilty for thinking those thoughts. It just says, oh, now you're stressing about work. Now you're worried about that relationship. There you go, you know, not being happy with your body again. It just observes the chatty mind. So um, the more you practice this, the observing mind is like the muscles. The more you lean into it, the more you'll be able to leverage it. And if you're going for months and months without leaning into what your mind is doing, you will get to a point of burnout. And when you notice your mind going in all these different directions, just pull it back to the present moment. When you do that, you are you create some space between all these thoughts that you're thinking, all the anxiety, all the worry, all the depressive-induced thoughts, and you get yourself to a present moment. Because at the end of the day, you know we're not our thoughts. I was just gonna say, and I think just focusing on the observing mind, like when I'm 
spinning and spiraling and stressing out about something, not being hard on myself about that and just recognizing that, okay, Kaylin, what's actually happening and like getting to the facts a little bit instead of letting it snowball has been really helpful. So what are some of the causes of an overly chatty mind? Yeah, when we did a lot of research for the book, we found out that, you know, 85% of uh, North America, you know, feels highly stressed out. And I mean, I think it's a number of things. One, I think, you know, we are overworked. Um, We are over, you know, hyper connected. We are always, you know, on our phones. Back in the day, you finished your working day and you shut down your computer and you didn't see work until the next morning. Um, now, you know, when I went through this, when I went through my, you know, corporate years, I was emailing at two o'clock in the morning, at four o'clock in the morning, getting up at five, getting into work and just hyper connected. So we never really get that break. The other thing is that, you know, we're constantly seeking validation from being busy, you know, hashtag hustle and people are gunning for the next promotion and we're just being pulled in so many directions now. And it's really, really hard to say, to say no. And doesn't help that everybody's life is on display all the time. So there is a validation, you know, when you're posting on Instagram saying, oh, this weekend I met this party and this weekend I went to this cottage. And you're constantly almost having to, to prove to people that, you know, you have this crazy, amazing, busy life. And even me for myself, you know, the last family vacation we had, I kept my cell phone in the safe the entire time. I did not look at it till we were at the airport. And it was just it was so good. The first couple of days, I kind of felt like I didn't have my right arm without my phone. Um, but it's crazy how, you know, we think we always have to be connected and that doesn't serve us well um, because we're not getting time to shut out. And when I was in California doing the course for a year, I completely unplugged for the entire year. And it was amazing how I could just focus on myself and introspect and you know, nowadays when we're so connected, we, it's hard to deal with anything internally because we have constant distractions, like whether it's Netflix or our friends or our phones and things just get, start to bubble up because we're not dealing with them. So I think that's also a contributor. The fact that we're always connected is that stress is just kind of bubbling up and we're not addressing it. Oh, amen. <laughs> <laughs> we really related in the book to everything you spoke about with the pressures of social media and being tied to our phones and I'm just coming off a week vacation where I worked every day and checked my emails way too many times and just felt this pressure to be like having the best vacation, but also to be working and to be checking in and to be showing that I'm committed to my job. And it just never stops. You never take time or take pause to just really be in the moment when you're living like that. So, I mean, I really liked your advice about how you put your phone in a safe during your vacation. (laughs) Do you have any other advice on how to do a digital detox or how to disconnect from your phones and from social media and to just check in with yourself. We've got a lot of great ideas and let that shit go on, you know, how to, we have a whole chapter called finding your tech zen and it's all about how to disconnect and, you know, put that aspect of life into perspective. But a couple of practical things are, you know, set some boundaries for yourself, put some hard and fast rules against disconnecting. So it could be things like, you know, you're not checking your phone 30 minutes before bed or 30 minutes after you wake up. You're just giving yourself a little, little mental break before you, you know, get yourself to sleep. And even after you wake up, you know, take a few deep breaths, do a little meditation, read a book, just do something for yourself instead of scroll. Because the second we wake up, our tendency is to just pick up our phones and check our emails 
email and suddenly we're like 15 emails behind and we check Instagram and something upsets us, you know, and we're just there. It's, it's that piece is gone. So set some boundaries for yourself. You can even have, you know, say every Sunday, I know Alicia Keys is like a huge advocate of this every Sunday, just completely disconnect. Don't look at your phone all day or maybe look at it at five o'clock or something. Or you can even say once a month, you know, the first Saturday of every month, I'm going to totally put my phone away. You can also, Neil Prisricha talks about creating physical boundaries. So when you get home from work, leave the phone in your car. Because when you hear it buzz, it's too tempting to not look. You have to look, you know, when you hear it go off. Charge it in your basement so there's a physical barrier. Another thing you can do is shut off your notifications, like for Instagram, for you know, LinkedIn, whatever it is for Twitter, just shut off your notifications or your email. So it's not constantly dinging. So you, you're in a little bit more control over when you want to look at your phone. It's not like you look every time someone sends you an email. You know, another thing my husband just did is he com- took his work email off his phone. And in the last two months after, you know, being at his company for six years, and he said that has made a huge difference in just like not checking because he just had this complete addiction. We'd be sitting there watching Netflix or something and just like every two minutes, so let me check my email. Let me check. And I'm like, did anyone email you between eight and 802? <laughs> you know? Um, so he said that's really helped him. The other thing is as you're on your phone, notice what's making you feel good and what's making you feel bad. If you're scrolling Instagram and it's making you feel insecure about your life, because, you know, we talk in the book too, how everybody posts their top 2% highlight reel. You know, everyone's posting the best moments, the vacations, the baby pictures, the engagements, um, you know, the the traveling. And people aren't posting the shitty aspects of life. They're posting the best parts of their life. So if you're on Instagram comparing yourself to all these people who are posting their top 2%, you're not you're not comparing yourself to anyone that exists. Absolutely. I love um, what you said about shutting off and picking times to shut off because uh, my husband and I just introduced the no device zone and it's literally a neon green piece of tape that we've put across the floor before our bedroom (gasps) so that you cannot enter the bedroom with a laptop, a cell phone, anything. And it is literally the no device zone. I love that. (laughs) That's fantastic. It works. works. Like We've been doing that for almost five months now and- I'm sleeping better. We're like communicating more because we would sometimes come home from work and crawl into bed and both be on our phones for maybe 20, 30 minutes before we realize we haven't said a word to each other. Yeah, I love that. I was so addicted to my work email like before I went to California. That was a part of the reason why I just I disconnected and I went. Both my husband and I went together and we both got to a point in our careers where, you know, we were climbing the corporate ladder. We were doing really well, like a career-wise. I couldn't have been more happy, but I was highly stressed and I was, you know, highly addicted to, like I said, my, my email, both my husband and I were like, are we going to turn 50 one day and look at each other and be like, what the hell did we just do? And that's when we we said something has to change. Something has to change here because this is not the path that we want to keep going. I mean, we, we are very driven people and he's back in corporate. I have my own, I'm an entrepreneur. Um, So we're very driven people who strive for success. I'm not saying that that's wrong. That's perfectly fine. But we just got to a point where we became, you know, too engrossed and too obsessed. And so we knew we needed a change. And so having that shift, it was hard because, again, you define yourself too by your career, by your title, by your status. You know, I remember one of my teachers in California said, if you get to a point where you don't know who you are, he goes, that's a good thing. (laughs) 
because you're just, you're taking off all these layers and you're almost building yourself back up. So it was, it was an incredible experience. And now I'm very, you know, it's changed me forever. And now I'm very clear about, you know, what I want and how connected I want to be. And, you know, I'm being a mompreneur as well, or a mompreneur, you know, I have boundaries. I, I, you know, I drop my daughter at school and I work from nine to three and then I pick her up and then I don't work after that. So I, it was just, it was a big shift from, you know, work being the center of my life to work being, you know, a part of my life. So at your Toronto workshop, you were speaking about how the mind is more prone to negative thinking when you're stressed. And I really relate to that. I know when I'm really stressed, I can spiral negatively really quick. Mm -hmm. And the negativity just kind of builds and builds as opposed to when I'm in a more calm and level state. So do you have any strategies you use to break that pattern of stress-induced negativity? It goes back to awareness being like acutely aware of what your mind is doing and the patterns that it takes you on. And it's really important once you are aware of those thoughts to honor them. I'm not saying you got to push them out because I also, you know, suppressed my thoughts for many years and that completely worked against me. So honor them. If you're pissed off about a situation at work or a relationship or something, be pissed off, be angry, move through the emotion and then let it go. Um, but also replace those thoughts, you know, be sensitive to what those thoughts are. And then if there are self-inflicted thoughts that are not positive about yourself, like I'm not worthy of this, or I can't do this job, or I suck at my job, replace those thoughts. You know, there's a reason why, you know, we talk in the book about CSIing the shit out of your thoughts, you know, understand (laughs) like where they come from and are they really even true? Like, are you shitty at your job because you got hired uh, out of a pool of people? You might have got promoted. You might have got kudos on your last project. So focus on those thoughts too and work once you're aware of them. It's like be aware of it and then work to shift those thoughts into something more positive because at the end of the day, these negative thought patterns are just neural networks in our brain. And, you know, we talk in the book too about how we're actually addicted to these thoughts. We get a chemical rush. You know, there's, there's uh, quantum physicists who've talked about how we're addicted to these thoughts. So we can't help ourselves from thinking them. So what we need to do once we're aware of them is to create new neural networks that are where, you know, we're building thoughts that are nicer to ourselves and kinder to ourselves. You know, I just posted about this the other day, self-love is about bubble baths and Netflix and spa dates and guys nights out. But it's also about how we're talking to ourselves and how we're treating ourselves. So again, when we have that negative thought pattern and it's leading us into stress, a way to pull back is to just be aware of those thoughts and work to move through the emotion and then work to replace them. So true. One thing that I'm I'm trying to do more at home is uh, I've actually written down my wedding vows and put them on the inside of my vanity mirror. So every morning when I do my makeup, I read the vows that I promised to my husband. It just sort of like reminds me of the kind of wife I want to be and how I want to show up in our marriage. That's so (laughs) So cheesy. I know. That's great. We, you know, we have a whole chapter on perspective, which is essentially that because we wake up and I said, as I said, we check our phones and we're behind on email and, you know, we're suddenly in rush, rush, rush mode. But if we wake up and we just think about five things that we're grateful for, or we wake up and we're like, 
I'm just happy to be alive today and that my husband or my partner is alive or that my kids are alive, my parents are alive, that you know, everything big picture is okay. I have access to food, shelter, water. There's so many things in life to be to be grateful for. You know, the one we did at, at um, Home Meditation Studio, we wrote down, you know, five things we're grateful for. And I often encourage people to write that on a sticky and put it on your bathroom mirror. So when you're brushing your teeth in the morning and at night, you're reminding yourself of all the things you're grateful for. And you can even refresh that list every few weeks because you do kind of get a little desensitized to it. So there's so many things, hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of things to be grateful for, especially living in. North America, the way we do, you know, we live in the top 1% of the world. So there's tons of ways to lean into all the things that um, are working in our favor versus what the chatty mind does is is focus on what's not. So the more we can lean into that kind of big picture perspective and have little reminders throughout our day or, you know, sticky notes throughout our living spaces, I think, you know, the, the, the less our mind can get the best of us. Yeah, that's so true. And gratitude, I mean, it's so linked to helping with depression and anxiety and stress. And it's gratitude is a very powerful tool. I just had this whole conversation with my my grandma. She's 99, oh my which God, is a miracle. Incredible. And I'm grateful for her every day. She's, but let me just touch on this because she's 99 and wears like the most flawless makeup. She has a specific MAC lipstick that she always uses. Lady Danger. Oh which my is, God. Can you post amazing. a picture of her? Like, I will. She's going to be like a woman crush Wednesday. Oh, in spoke. <laughs> she is she really is a miracle to me. Um, but being 99, and she's always been like the most positive person, but being 99 is not for the faint of heart. And, I, you know, she's struggling with kind of finding the good in life at, at this point because she's so limited in what she can do and she's just kind of existing but can't do any of the things that she loves. Um, and I've just, yeah, I've seen it take a, a toll on her. So I just got her a gratitude journal and Aww. I'm trying to help her write down a few things every day that she's grateful for and a few people that make her feel good and just kind of guide her every day to find those things. And she lives at home. She lives with my mom. They're so close. Like all of those things, when you look at the big picture, they're worth celebrating. And Absolutely. I think I'm hoping it will bring her some joy and some happiness. I love that. I will report back. <laughs> yeah. Let us know if, if Granny finds gratitude through the gratitude journal. But I think that's yeah. an incredible incredible idea. And she sounds amazing. She sounds phenomenal. (laughs) So you touched on uh, waking up and and writing down five things that you're grateful for um, and maybe leaving sticky notes and just finding some ways to incorporate mindfulness. Uh, Are there any other strategies that you can give to people who are sort of caught in that autopilot mode? When I came back from California, I jumped back into corporate. Um, You know, I was trying to find myself. I knew I wanted to do something in mindfulness and meditation. I just didn't know how it was going to manifest. This was like in 2011. And lucky for me, one of my teachers came from from California to visit. And I said to him, you know, it's one thing to be in the redwoods and be present, but being present when you're working a corporate job and you've got a mortgage and, you know, you have day-to-day stresses and you got to grocery shop, you got to do all these things. It's impossible. I'm like, it's a bunch of BS. Like, how do you actually be present in in the real world? And he looked at me and he he smiled and he gave me a very practical answer that I still lean into like more and more every year I find. And he said, this is going to sound a little crazy, but he said, just start speaking out loud or thinking your, your train of thought should be aligned with what you're doing. 
And it's a great way to get yourself into the present moment. So he gave me the example of doing the dishes. He said, let's say you're doing the dishes. Your dialogue should go something like this. Now I'm putting soap on the sponge. Now I'm making circular motions on this pot. Now I'm rinsing this pot. Now I'm putting this pot on the drying rack. You know, it sounds kind of crazy, but what it does is it takes you out of that rumination and it put, brings you into the present moment. And even if I'm doing the dishes for 15 minutes, it's not like I'm present the entire time. Every 30 seconds or so, my mind runs off to something I have to do to like, you know, I've got to get my daughter, you know, all the, the to do, all the ways the chatty mind takes over. So don't be discouraged if you try this and your mind keeps running off. The other great way is leaning into breath. So taking some really big belly breaths. So the more shallow our breathing is, the more, you know, panicked, angry, stressed, you'll notice when you're when you're stressed out, your, your breathing is going to be really shallow. So when you're hitting that point of peak stress, when you're about to walk into a meeting or someone sends you an email that throws you off, just take a couple of really deep breaths. That'll definitely ground you and get to like a little bit of, of a mindful space. And the third suggestion is to have mindful triggers throughout your day. So let's say, you know, you tell yourself every time I brush my teeth, I'm going to try to do it really mindfully. Or every time I cook dinner, I'm going to try to be really mindful. Every time I open a door. It's really great. It reminds me of something my therapist um, had me do when I would start to get really anxious and overwhelmed. And I thought it was a bit silly at first, but it actually really grounded me. And she would she would just pick a color and have me name all the things in the room that were green or that were blue and just lift them slowly. I'm like, oh my God, I'm not four years old. This is silly. (laughs) But by the time I was done, I was like, oh, I'm here. I'm in this room. I'm present. And I feel so much more calm. So I've tried to keep that going. Um, I could do it more and I'm going to do it more now. (laughs) But simple tactics really help. I've just started a new meditation practice every morning with just 10 minutes. And I find find it's been helping a lot too. And and a a lot of it um, is, again, just leaning into the senses and and kind of feeling the couch beneath my butt and like my feet on the floor Mm -hmm. just when I'm getting into it. Um, but can you give us an overview of your own meditation practice and how it helps you combat the craziness that goes on in our minds? Yeah, I definitely can. I mean, I always say that meditation is, is very, it's a very personal practice. So, you know, my meditation teacher says, I, I can't teach you meditation. I can't exactly teach you how to meditate because it's, it, you have to figure out what works for you. There's so many apps out there. There's so many techniques, there's guided meditations, there's music, there's sitting in silence. Um, so you really have to learn into lean into what works for you. And for me, my practice is honestly, it's different every single day. You know, some days I will play some slight music in the background. Some days I will, you know, early on in my practice, I used to do a lot of guided meditations because my chatty mind was so out of control that I I needed something to kind of hang, it needed something to hang on to. You know, sometimes I do, you know, kind of a yogic routine that I've learned. Sometimes I just sit in silence. So you have to really lean into what works for you. And the one thing I'll say that's really important um, in meditation is that the thoughts don't stop. Um, we get a lot of people coming up to us saying, I can't meditate. My thoughts don't stop. And 
um, we say back, well, yeah, your thoughts are, it's the job of your thought, chatty mind to think thoughts. So I've been meditating for 12 years. I've never had a meditation where I've had zero thoughts. And don't judge whether the meditation was like a peaceful one or your mind was out of control. It just is what it is. Um, and sometimes when your mind is out of control, it's actually a good thing because it's trying to tell you something that you might be, might be suppressing in your day to day. So there's no good and bad meditation. The thoughts are going to come and it's a very individual practice. I feel like people think you need to be like sitting cross-legged in a salt cave on vacation in order for it to actually work. But it, it's true. It's, it, it can be very personal. And whenever you can squeeze it in, taking some time for yourself, like that that is meditation. It doesn't need to be this big, scary thing that you're trying out. It's kind of like going to the gym for your mind. You know, we do so much for our bodies. You work out or we dress a certain way, we wear a certain makeup. But what meditation does is it's, it's a little workout for your mind because it's an opportunity for you to sit there in complete silence and just observe what's going on in your mind. And, and by doing that, you will be much more equipped in the real world when your mind gets the best of you. You'll know what to do with it. You'll have that, you'll have a better sense of how to kind of rein it in when you, when you, cause that's what you're doing and you're dedicating time and meditation to, to do that. There's one question that we always ask our guests. Um, what's something you wish that you were taught in school? I wish I would say two things. One is how to better navigate my emotions. Um, mm. My emotions Amen. just, yeah, got completely got the best of me in pretty much up until like a few years ago. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I really wish I was taught how to, you know, navigate my emotions. I do it with my daughter now all the time. Um, but that that's one thing. And then the other thing was just how to love myself. Um, because I think mm. we are just so self-critical. We're always taught to love thy neighbor, to treat one's, you know, other people the way, you know, we want to be treated. But, you know, we're always taught how to treat others growing up, but we were never taught how to treat ourselves. Yes, I totally agree. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for being here with us. This was so great. We learned so much. I feel that much closer to being a stress-free adult. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody, make sure you read. Let that shit go. It's it's really informative, but it's also a really fun read. Yeah. I learned a lot. Aww, yeah. Thank you. I love how you guys are helping people learn how to be an adult because it it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. So hard. The struggle is real. The struggle is real. So thank you for doing what you do. And you know, I know you lead very busy lives, but to take, you know, some time out to to help others and and you know help people with mental health and you know how how to to get a hold of of their lives and themselves as they age I think is such a gift so thank you thanks Nina let um, tell our guests where they can find you on social online pimp yourself out <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, you can follow us our, our book uh, on Instagram at let that shit go underscore book you can follow me at nina.pure.minds on Instagram or you can check out pureminds.ca and Kate also has um, her mental health business, which is Mind Matters, and you can check out mindmatters.space or you can follow her at kate.petru uh, for Instagram. Amazing. And we will link all of that in the show notes for everybody too. Amazing. Thank you so much, guys, for having me. I had a blast talking to you both. Thank Thanks, you. Nina. We hope you're feeling super zen and inspired to get mindful AF. We'll leave you with a quote from our absolute favorite queen, Brene Brown. I don't have to chase extraordinary moments to find happiness. It's right in front of me if I'm paying attention and practicing gratitude.
That's what she said. So there you have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard today, it would mean the world to us if you would subscribe and leave a comment or a rating. And we'd love it if you would share this with your friends by screenshotting the episode and sharing it on social by tagging at Teach Me How to Adult Podcast and DM us with any topics or guests you'd like to hear on the show. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Okay, so once you get comfortable, um, close your eyes. So let's close our eyes. And let's take a couple of really big, deep belly breaths. So breathe in and let your belly inflate like a balloon. As you inhale, you're letting all that air in. And as you exhale, let your belly deflate you can even flex your abs on that as you deflate to kind of exaggerate the air going out and as you inhale inflate your belly you exhale deflate that belly so take another deep breath going to do a body relaxation and we're going to start at the top of the head and as I say a body part I want you to picture a beautiful glow around that part and we're going to go from top all the way down so let's start at the top of the head beautiful glow going down your face the back of your head Make sure you relax and unscrunch your eyebrows, unclench your jaw. Take that glow down your neck, to your shoulders. If there's a body part that troubles you, just give it some extra love as we get there. Take that glow from your shoulders down to your arms and your elbows. your hands, fingertips and fingernails around the palms of your hands. Make sure you keep deep breathing and take that glow down your chest and your stomach area and then your upper, mid, lower back. you're taking deep breaths and if your mind is wandering that's okay just bring it back to what I'm saying so there's a beautiful glow around the top half of your body spend a quick moment being grateful for all of your organs working in perfect order your heart beating your lungs your kidneys
toenails. Wrap it around the bottom of your feet as well. There's a beautiful glow around your entire body. Take a moment to just look at yourself from a bird's eye view. Sitting there, so peaceful and brilliant and calm. And know that you have everything within you to be happy, to be fulfilled, to be loved. Take a couple more deep breaths, big belly breaths. Let that stomach expand, inflate and deflate.